0: Well, thank you so much. Uh, It's it's, uh, really an honor to be here. I feel humbled. I feel a little bit intimidated uh, taking the pulpit of uh, a man of God who's been here 18 years and uh, preaching the Word of God, holding firm to the Word of God at a time when so many churches don't. But I'm really looking forward to our time together today. We've got three sessions together today, and uh, so I'm going to kind of do them in sequential order. But the problem is the material that I really would like to cover, which I'm going to introduce in just a moment, uh, basically, as a summary of both a 300 page book and an 18 video, 14 hour series. And it's kind of tough to distill that down into three 45 minute ish sessions. But I'm just going to give you a high level overview of what I think is one of the most important subjects for our day. I was just talking to Mike back there about Bible prophecy and current events and how the stage is certainly being uh, set for end times uh, events. And so, we're living in unprecedented uh, times, and I've been burdened about this. Uh, the book came out March 21st. It was, my, I think, my most important uh, book to date, most timely, and uh, the Lord's using it, to, I think, to both bring lost people to faith, but also to awaken believers to the urgency of the hour. And so, as we talk about this this morning, I want you just to, uh, you may be exposed to some things maybe you haven't heard before. Uh, feel free to ask questions. We're going to do a Q&A session after lunch, uh, so jot your thoughts or comments or questions down. I'd love to dialogue with you. I want to maximize every minute of our time together uh, today and just make sure that, you know, we're, we, we we cover this material sufficiently. I believe that we are living, as uh, Michelle Bachman recently said on an interview I heard, in the twilight of American civilization. And if the Lord Terry's is coming, uh, we may have to go through some pretty rough times. You know, one of the blessings of uh, being in America during this present church age is that so far we have not had to experience any of the type of persecution that our brothers and sisters in Christ have throughout the world for the last 2,000 years. And, uh, you know, people say that today there are more martyrs for Christ than at any other time in human history. And that's saying a lot when you look back through the annals of 2,000 years and you see how many times there's been incredible genocide and persecution of, of believers uh, starting all the way back in the first century under Roman uh, emperors like Nero and Domitian and others and so uh, we are seeing an uptick in persecution and I believe that it's starting to come here and so what, what I want to talk about this morning is is just the premise of the book and in the, and the series spirit of the Antichrist uh, and then just one at if we get time one, Example of that. Uh, And then uh, then in the worship hour, I'm going to go back to Genesis 3 and we're going to talk about Satan's anatomy of deception. You know, Satan is not creative. He wants to be the creator. He's trying to be creative, but he's not. He uses the same old tricks that he's always used uh, and he's trying to take over the world. How many of you believe that Satan is trying to take over this world? Amen. You should raise your hand because that's absolutely biblical. Since the moment he got kicked out of heaven, and couldn't take the throne in heaven, he set his sights on this earth, God's created world, and, and that's why 1 John tells us that uh, the whole world lieth under the sway of the, of, of the evil one or the wicked one, And so uh, he, uh, but he's not very creative, and so when we see the way he targeted Adam and Eve in the garden, that gives us his MO, and that can help us be awakened and alert to deception today. And so that's what I'm going to do in the first and second session. And then after lunch, uh, I'm going to kind of take my cue from you, see what kind of questions you might have, but we might also talk about one other aspect uh, from, uh, from the book. So I want to take you back in your mind's eye to the late first century A.D. The church had been around about 60 years. The church was founded on the day of Pentecost in 33 A.D. And the apostle John, the one whom Jesus loved, one of the inner three disciples who was the author of the Gospel of John, He was the author of the book of Revelation, the last book written in the New Testament. And he was also the author of three epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And he wrote 1st John, which is kind of going to be our focal passage for the day, uh, to address the problems of false teachers in his day. So after just five or six decades, the church was already dealing with false teachers, and they were making these lofty claims about their knowledge and their spirituality and and about who Jesus really is, about his deity and his humanity and so forth. And so John counters those claims of those false teachers in the late first century by reminding his readers, first of all, that he and the other apostles were eyewitness accounts to Jesus' life and ministry. That when they speak about Jesus, they're not just speaking of someone they've read about or heard oral tradition about. They walked with him. They talked with him. They, you know heard him speak. In fact, in the upper room, the night before Jesus was betrayed, if you recall, John gives us, John the Apostle gives us the account of that. Uh, Jesus told the disciples that the Holy Spirit would bring to remembrance everything that he taught them. And so here we are 60 years later, and we're seeing the fulfillment of that as John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes his epistles. And just as Jesus said, he's bringing back all of these things. And a lot of what John talks about in his epistle first epistle relates to what he said in the upper room about abiding in close fellowship with Christ and staying close to me, that in this world you're going to have tribulation, but hang on, I've overcome the world and those types of things. So Jesus Christ came in the flesh, lived a perfect, holy, sinless life, died for our sins, rose from the dead. He was fully human. He was fully God. He is fully human. He is fully God today. And anything else being taught by others, John says, is absolutely, utterly false. So he's really uh, elevating the preeminence of Christ in his letter, just like he does in the book of the Revelation. I think I don't have to tell this group that the last book of the Bible is the Revelation, not Revelations. I can't tell you how many times I hear people call it Revelations. There's no S. It's the Revelation, the apocalypsis of Jesus Christ. And so really the, the epistles sort of set the stage for what he's going to talk about in brilliant uh Form in, in the Revelation leading up to the climax of all of human history when Christ comes back in fulfillment of all Old Testament prophecy, takes the long-awaited throne, rules this sin-stricken world in peace, righteousness, and justice. So in John's letter, he sounds an alarm, essentially, saying false teaching cannot be tolerated. And so what I'm here to do this morning is to sound a similar alarm based on God's Word. About the deception that is sweeping this world. The subtitle of the book and the series is "The Gathering Cloud of Deception." And so, let's just walk through a couple of passages here. First uh, John chapter 2:18 says, "Little children, it is the last time, the last time, or the last days, or the last age." In Scripture, always refers to the present church age. I don't have time to make that case, but I make it in the book by comparing Scripture with Scripture. But he's talking about this age. This is the final age. And God's plan of the ages the only age to come is the kingdom age. And no, we're not there yet. Anybody that thinks we're living in the kingdom today is reading a different Bible. Because there's nothing about the description of God's glorious kingdom in Scripture that correlates to what we see in this world around us. It's just the opposite. Things are getting worse and worse, uh, Paul tells us. But in this last time, he says, As you have heard that Antichrist shall come. Now here he's talking about the Antichrist kind of capital A, the Antichrist shall come, and he will, in the final seven years prior to Christ's return, the Antichrist is going to be indwelt by Satan, the prince of demons, and rule the world at Satan's behest in a tyrannical reign of terror. But notice what John says. Even now, and this was 2,000 years ago, there are many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. In other words, as time goes on and gets shorter and shorter, Satan is ratcheting up his spiritual battle, his spiritual warfare, his attempts to take over uh, this world. Later on in chapter 4, John says this, and this is um, where we get this title of the message. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof you have heard that it should come, and even now already it is in the world. So the spirit of Antichrist is already in the world. And by the way, Satan, who is not omniscient and does not know when Christ is going to come back, has to have his man of the hour ready and in every generation. And so not only is the spirit of the Antichrist here, but the Antichrist candidate is here too. It's futile to try to speculate and and pick who that is, uh, but, but Satan knows. Satan has someone marked out. And if the Lord were to call the church home today and we were to shift into the end times events, by the way, 16% 16% of Scripture is unfulfilled prophecy, 16%. And so, you know, when when churches today are shunning the teaching about the end times, I call them the 84% club because they're only teaching 84% of the Bible. And sadly, if you're comfortable with that, uh, then there's no shortage of churches where you can get, you know, 84%, um, kind of like my average in high school. You know, if you're comfortable with a B, B-, minus, that's fine. But I want an A-plus word of God. I want the whole counsel of God. And so uh, we want to teach what God's word has to say about the end. It, it's crazy that people, you know, they, they never read, you know, three-quarters or, or four-fifths of a Robert Ludlum novel or Tom Clancy novel and, and then put it down and forget it. They never go to a movie and walk out three-quarters of the way through it. No, we want to know the ending. We want to know how God's word... And God's word tells a story from Genesis to Revelation about his plan of the ages. He is, after all, the creator of the universe. And so, um, you know, a lot of people are shunning uh, that teaching. But we believe that as we get closer and closer to the end, as Jesus tells us, we can watch the signs of the times and we can see the stage being set for the end times. Now, we can't set a date. We don't know. Exactly when the rapture is going to happen—that's known only to the Lord. It's imminent. We have a in our book. We have a my eschatology book. I have a chapter on the imminency of the rapture. We also have a DVD about that. But it, it's a biblical doctrine, meaning that the rapture could happen at any moment. At the back of our eschatology book, I have an appendix on sequential order of end times events. It's got thirty or forty different events. What do you think is number one in that list? The rapture, because that's the next great prophetic event to which the world looks forward. And when that happens, we will know that we have shifted into the final uh, days. But this spirit of Antichrist is already at work. And so what I did is I went through the biblical record and found all of the characteristics of the future Antichrist and there's no shortage of information about it from the book of Daniel, from Revelation chapter 13, from some of Paul's epistles. We get a lot of information about what that future man of sin is going to look like, what he's going to act like, what he's going to say, how he's going to think. And If John tells us that the spirit of the Antichrist is already at work today, and if we're getting closer and closer to the Lord's return, it follows that we ought to begin to see an uptick in some of those characteristics, setting the stage for the rise of the Antichrist. And so after making that list, I boiled it down to seven key characteristics, and then I just sort of compared those characteristics to what we see in the world today. And it was unbelievable how much change we've experienced, even just in the last two or three years years. Paul tells us that evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. That means deception is getting worse. That means we need to be reminded that depravity is a degenerative disease. It does not get better with time. We're not getting better and better like the eugenicist Darwin taught. We're getting worse and worse. That's the curse of sin. And that means that evil is getting worse and things are getting worse. Talking about the spirit of the Antichrist being already at work among us, Paul says the same thing in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7, as he's talking about the future Antichrist, and he says, the mystery of iniquity doth already work. This mystery of this man of sin, the son of perdition, is already at work in the world today. And that's why in his last letter, Paul puts it this way, know this, that in the last days, is where we're living today, the church age, perilous times shall come, and and I'm here to suggest that those times have come, Um, and so what I'd like to do for the next few minutes is just walk you through some data that should get your attention, if it hasn't already, that says we are living in unprecedented times. Now listen, I get that people for generations have always been talking about you know, the Lord's going to come back in our day, and you know, things are, but there are some things happening today that have never happened before. And In fact, I'm going to talk in the third hour about uh, one of them, transhumanism, and, and how this is really the final frontier for Satan to conquer. You know, he's conquered uh, uh, gender, for example. He's conquered marriage. He's, he's defeated all of the foundational institutes of God when he created man in, in, in the divine image. Uh, from Genesis 1 through 11, all of those things we see there, he's, he's overcome them. But the one thing he hasn't been able to do is create life, and they think they're this close to doing that. We're going to talk about that. Uh, but the New York Times ran a story that was pretty interesting uh, back at, during the height of the pandemic when they said that we have a new historical divide now. From now on, everything will be known as B.C. and A.C., the world before corona and the world after There were many other mainstream news organizations that were saying the same thing. For example, the Financial Times of London said the same thing. We're living in life B.C. and A.C. And, uh, you know, the, the Bible tells us that a wise man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself. But the simple pass on and are punished. The simple put their head in the sand and ignore it. But we are seeing this freight train coming right down the track right for us. Uh, Proverbs also says, "Every prudent man dealeth with, dealeth with knowledge." You know, uh, I think it was Einstein that said, "Contempt prior to examination is the height of ignorance." And a lot of times, people will just dismiss this information as if, you know, it's it's you know, what's the big deal? You know, well, it is a big deal, and I think we as the church need to be leading the way in preparation for it. Uh, in that same passage, in 1 Thessalonians five. Uh, In in Paul's letter to 1 Thessalonians, he says, Therefore let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Remember, Peter said, Be sober, be vigilant, for our adversary the devil is walking around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may uh, devour. So in 1 Timothy 4, speaking to the church through his young son in the faith, Timothy, Paul says, The Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And in his second letter, he says something similar. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust they shall heap up to themselves teachers having itching ears. And watch this, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Most churches today are just perpetuating fables. They long ago abandoned the authority of the Word of God as the only standard for our beliefs, attitudes, and practices. And while you know I've been studying this, uh, this subject of the Luciferian conspiracy for over 15 years now when I first went down the rabbit hole, there are very few people out there that are studying this and teaching about it from the perspective of a biblical worldview, connecting the dots to understand that indeed Satan is conspiring, with demons and human agents to try to take over this world. And he has been for 6,000 years. And he thinks he's so close he can taste it. And that's why I call it the Great Satanic Reset. Surely by now you've heard of the Great Reset. But what it's really, what it really is is the Great Satanic Reset. And one of the biggest players in the Luciferian conspiracy today is Klaus Schwab. Now, I don't have time to go into all of the detail and all of the stuff about him that would really make you uh, shudder, but let's just talk about a few of his uh, quotes. The World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab's organization, uh, has been working for some time on what they call the Great Reset. Long before the pre-planned pandemic, they were talking about this, but the pandemic that they rolled out gave them an opportunity to shift into high gear, and, and, and we, by the way, in the book, the biggest chapter in the book is on vaccines and big pharma, and I give, I think it's 12 or 15 smoking gun evidences that the pandemic was rolled out. It was planned 22 years in advance. It's completely a planned deal. doesn't mean it's not real. It's definitely real. If people really get sick, people really die. It's a, it's a dangerous thing or can be for some people. But you need to understand the story behind the story, and that's what I get into in that chapter. But uh, when, when they rolled that out, that's when they shifted into what I call the Luciferian endgame. Klaus Schwab is over 80 years old. He really believes that in his lifetime, He's going to usher in the one world political, economic, and religious system. Uh, The Luciferians believe that, if if you go back to Genesis, that Satan is the hero and God is the antagonist. Satan is the protagonist, Lucifer, and God is the antagonist. They believe Satan's the hero, right? And they worship him the way you and I worship our Creator, read His Word, pray to Him, uh, give glory to Him. They do the same thing to Satan. They believe this is His world and they're trying to Usher it in. So his book, The, the Great Reset, uh, basically outlines the, what's going to happen. And they're so bold about it that now they're just stating it as if it's a matter of fact. They don't even care if people know what they're doing because they think it's, it's a fait accompli. It's already going to happen, right? Um, and, of course, the, what they don't understand is even though their timetable for many, many years, by the way, um, has been the mid-2020s. You can go back over 100 years and read, you know, Satanists like Helena Blavatsky and Alice Bailey and in their writings 100 years ago. And Alice Bailey, by the way, says she was channeling demons when she wrote. They're talking about 2025, 2025, 2025. That's their timetable. One caveat we always need to remember, and I say this often, is that it, the only timetable that matters is God's timetable. They may be striving hard to usher in the, the one world system and Satan's new world order, and they may have a date targeted, That does not mean it's going to happen. They've been trying to do this for centuries. And because Satan is not omnipotent and omniscient and omnipresent, and because by its very nature the Luciferian conspiracy is sloppy and contradicting and there's different factions competing with each other and so forth, they've not been able to usher it in. But for the first time, the the biggest time ever, they feel like they've got this unity centered around uh, the pandemic and other things. Uh, Global warming is another key part of this. And they, so they think they're this close. So it's important for us as believers to understand what their timetable is. you got to know the enemy, right? That's why there's so much in Scripture about being aware of the enemy, you know, being on guard and so forth. But we don't concede the point. We don't say that, oh, sure, if it's going to happen in 2025, we better sell all our possessions, move to a mountaintop, and sing Kumbaya and wait for Jesus, right? No, we continue to do what the Lord has for us to do, which is the Great Commission, sharing the gospel, living life, and making a difference, shining like stars in this perverse generation, as Paul says, uh, because we don't know if that's going to be the case or not. But it's certainly worth paying attention to. Uh, So God is the ultimate arbiter of the timetable. uh, But we see uh, so much being talked about today about how they're rebuilding the world into this one world uh, system. And at the tip of the spear is Klaus Schwab. And he likes to appear in this galactic-like Garb. He thinks of himself as if he's sitting at mission control of the entire world. And other key players in his arena were Jeffrey Epstein, who's supposedly dead now, Bill, uh, uh, Bill Gates, uh, Kissinger, uh, Rockefeller, who passed away in 2017, and Al Gore, and many, many others. Uh, you'll hear the mainstream media, Fox News and CNN, interviewing certain key business leaders and world leaders and others, and they'll refer to them as Davos men or Davos women. That just means they are working at the behest of Klaus Schwab on the World Economic Forum that meets in Davos, Switzerland uh, every year. And so that the, the, the system is loaded with them. Now, I'm not in any way suggesting that Klaus Schwab is the Antichrist, but I am saying that right now the World Economic Forum is a key uh, part of the rollout of this one-world system that is happening before our very eyes. So Schwab said the pandemic represents a rare but narrow window of opportunity to reflect reimagine and reset our world all every single one of the big pharma corporations including all of the ones that have produced COVID uh, experimental bioinjections, uh, are listed as key partners on the world economic forum site they're working hand in puppet here's another quote uh, at the time of writing and this he's talking here about writing COVID-19 the great reset that book I just showed you the pandemic continues to worsen globally. Many of us are pondering when things will return to normal. The short answer is never. Schwab says, "I said it; that settles it. It's never going back to normal. Nothing will ever return to the broken sense of normalcy that prevailed prior to the crisis, because the coronavirus pandemic makes a fundamental marks a fundamental inflection point in our global trajectory." Notice, and that's his quotations. they are single quotes broken. He believes the normal. What we call normal today, which is national sovereignty, nation states, freedom, liberty, individual freedom, all of that represented a broken, false sense of normalcy. Real normalcy is a global elite controlling the world in a one-world system, breaking down national sovereignty. We won't have time to get to it in this uh, conference, but uh, if you pick up some of our materials or go to our website, we have a ton of free videos and do several podcasts every week, four or five a week, I talk often about how the United States is standing in the way. It's a one nation still standing in the way, and they have to bring America down in order to accomplish this. And again, it doesn't mean they're going to succeed, right? But that's their plan. It's all over. their are white papers. They're, declass- they're not declassified, but leaked documents and things like that. Um, they're talking about it all the time, that we've got to get rid of America. And so a lot of the things that we see happening today are part of that agenda. He goes on, some analysts call it a major bifurcation, others refer to a deep crisis of biblical proportions, but the essence remains the same. The world as we knew it in the early months of 2020 is no more dissolved in the context of the pandemic. Radical changes of such consequence are coming that some pundits have referred to a before coronavirus and after coronavirus. Again, they beat that drum constantly, echoing each other, all the mainstream media outlets. We will continue to be surprised by both the rapidity and unexpected nature of these changes, As they conflate with each other, they will provoke second, third, fourth, and more order consequences, cascading effects and unforeseen outcome. They're talking here about the new normal. I would guess that many of you have seen the World Economic Forum's video, I normally play it, but for the sake of time, I'm not going to, that lists eight things that will be different in this new normal, Uh, and the number one thing on the list is you will own nothing and you will be happy about it. They do not believe in private ownership of anything. And you're going to have a centralized digital currency that tracks your every move, tracks everything you do and say. You won't be able to travel, you won't be able to do anything unless, you know, if they flip a switch. And uh, so they're going to be very, very much controlling. And all of this is straight out of the book of Revelation and the beast and the false prophets attempt when they rule the world to control uh, commerce and so forth. But Klaus Schwab sits at the center of this matrix like a spider in a giant web. His newest book, and you're not probably hearing too much about this, this just came out a couple of months ago, early 2022. I guess it's been maybe six months ago now, but 2022 copyright called The Great Narrative, and he ratchets it up even more. Listen to what he says. The pandemic has occurred at a very particular juncture when our economies and societies seem ill-suited to many of the challenges that lie ahead when the geopolitical and technological landscapes are being reshaped in a way that will make them unrecognizable in just a few years. Just a few years, he says. The geological, I mean, geopolitical and technological landscapes will be completely unrecognizable. Solutions to the major challenges we face do exist and are within our grasp. If you'll just let us take control, the, the elite, the initiated, But they will require a great deal of innovation and dramatic changes in our economies and our societies as well as in our institutions like marriage, church, family, government, as well as in institutions, laws, and rules that government. Our life habits and modes of consumption will also need to change drastically. And here he references the digital currency. Could cryptocurrencies advance environmental objectives and the policies that support them? Could they be used to accelerate the demise of the U.S. dollar? See, there it is. They're always talking about they got to destroy America. Disruption is coming. It will be both good and bad and major. It will be good for them, bad for you, and it will be major. The fundamental issue of our newfound ability to manipulate life will impact our humanness. Notice they're manipulating life impact our humanists, challenge our beliefs, morals, religions, and politics at their very core, and we're ill-prepared for that. In other words, you have no idea what's coming. He's telegraphing. He's trying to warn you. And then here he quotes Edward Osborne Wilson, uh, who is nicknamed the Ant-Man. He was like the world's expert in the study of ants. And uh, he was an atheist, and uh, Klaus Schwab quotes him here affirmingly, and listen to what he says. As the naturalist E.O. Wilson said, we have paleolithic emotions, medieval institutions, and godlike technologies, and then Swab comments, indeed. Now, what's he saying there? Well, paleolithic is an evolutionary term that refers to primitive cave-like times, 2.5, 3 million years ago or something. Not biblical at all, but what he's basically saying is that our emotions are outdated, our institutions are like medieval, and yet our technologies are godlike. And if we have time in the third session, I'm going to explain what, what they mean about trying to create life and be godlike. But in other words, what he's saying is we're like a 13-year-old getting behind of a of the controls of a jumbo jet. And we need the Luciferian elite, the initiated, to show us how to fly it. Nothing and here's telling us how they're going to accomplish this. Nothing is more effective than the power of narratives. We're just going to weave these big lies and tell them, and that's going to help people jump on board the bandwagon. We've got to develop stories that are both pertinent and convincing to others. This is the best way to motivate those with whom we interact socially, politically, and economically, and to move this agenda forward. He says it's a new golden age. This new golden age would require major institutional innovations, and among them is a supranational institution to regulate finance at the global level. He has a lot to say about globalism and the one world government. This is just one. So I just wanted to give you a few of those highlights. But God's word in 1 John tells us that we are of God and the whole world lieth in wickedness. Satan, this is his territory. This is his arena. And he's trying to deceive. Jesus tells us in John 8 that everything everything Satan says is a lie. When he speaks, he speaks of his own resources. All he can do is lie. As I mentioned a moment ago, the mystery of iniquity, that word iniquity means lawlessness, is already at work. Now where will this future Antichrist's power come from? Well, of course it comes from Satan, the great deceiver. We see this again and again in Second Thessalonians 2. Paul tells us that the, the, the coming of this Antichrist uh, is as after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. In Revelation, at the height of the tribulation period, that final seven-year period, we, we see that they worshipped the dragon. Revelation 12 tells us the dragon is Satan and the devil. Uh, they worshipped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. Remember, the beast is the Antichrist. That's John's name for him in the book of the Revelation. Paul describes this cosmic struggle in Ephesians chapter 6, when he says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Going back to Second Thess 2, describing this future Antichrist, he says, And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness. Deception. That's his M.O. In, in Revelation, we read that the Antichrist is deceiveth them that dwell on the earth. That's what he's trying to do. Satan is the great deceiver. The verse I quoted a moment ago, Jesus said, you are of your father the devil, talking to the unbelieving Jewish leaders who rejected him. And the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abodeth not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. In other words, it's normal for him. Whatever he speaks, you can count on it being a lie. He is a liar and the father of it. And this is the one whom these Luciferian elites Worship and take their marching orders from, and communicate with. They even dedicate books to him. Some of you may know the name Saul Alinsky and his book Rules for Radicals that Barack Obama so valued and called credited Alinsky with shape, changing his whole worldview, shaping his whole worldview. But in the inscription of his book, Alinsky says, lest we forget at least an over-the-shoulder acknowledgement to the very first radical from all of our legends, mythology, and history. And notice he puts, and who's to say where mythology leaves off and history begins. See, they've they've created history. History as we know it is not the truth. We'll, We'll talk about that in a second. But he's referring here to the first radical known to man who rebelled against the establishment and did it so effectively that he won his own kingdom, Lucifer. That's who they worship. They think this is his kingdom. Now, King David, a thousand years before Christ, describes this Luciferian conspiracy. It's one of the key passages in the biblical text describing this conspiracy. And he writes, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? I love that. As I mentioned a moment ago, their plans, you know, the, the Luciferian plot is no match for the Lord's plan. Amen? So they have a plan, but it's a vain one because God's ultimately in control. But notice what this vain thing is that that, that they're plotting. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, Yahweh, and against his anointed, Christ the Messiah. And what are they saying as they counsel together in this conspiracy? They're saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. See, Satan has control issues. He hates God and he hates God's sovereignty and he hates God's control. And so he's conspiring with demons and human agents to break God's control, to break free from it, just like he tried to overthrow God in heaven. And God said, I don't think so. Take a hike. And Satan brought one third of the angels with him, demons today, and they then set their sights on the earth. And he's still 6,000 years later trying to overthrow this earth. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about conspiracies. In the book, I give several passages that talk about it. But surely you've heard the phrase conspiracy theory. Well, I want to be right up front, uh, Pastor Pyatt. I do not believe in conspiracy theories except the ones that are true. And there are true conspiracies out there. Uh, a conspiracy is simply two or more people working together to commit a crime. It happens all the time. But that phrase, conspiracy theory, is a unique one. A lot of people don't realize this, but it was actually created, we know this on record from a document that was released through a FOIA request, by the CIA in 1967 as a as a meme to try to discredit truth seekers. It came out, uh, they, they, they wrote this uh, document. Uh, it was stamped PSYCH for Psychological Warfare and CS for Clandestine Services Unit. And the context, if you read the whole document, was We've got to do something about all these people uh, that think that the official Warren Commission report on the assassination of Kennedy is is false. We're losing losing the grip. They're not believing our lie. So what can we do? Well, let's just label them conspiracy theorists. And we'll just start calling them that. And we'll get the mainstream media, which we control, to, to use it. We'll get the academy to use it in their textbooks and so forth. And we'll basically create this pejorative term. So that now, anytime you point out the inconsistencies, fallacies, and inaccuracies of any official government story on any issue, all someone has to do is say, oh, you're just a conspiracy theorist. Well, what does that mean? It's just a term that's been created to mean you're ugly, you know, that kind of a thing, right? It's, it's a personal attack. It has nothing to do with the facts of the matter. Um, and so conspiracies are nothing new. Conspiracy theory is a weaponized term created by the CIA. And the greatest conspiracy of all time, of course, is the Luciferian Uh, conspiracy. Uh, Manly P. Hall, a Satanist himself, put it this way, there are invisible powers behind the thrones of earth, and men are but marionettes dancing while the invisible ones pull the strings. And the biggest aspect of this is the Luciferian-controlled media. Uh, Operation Mockingbird, we have a whole chapter on that in the book. Supposedly it went away uh, decades ago back in the 70s, but it's absolutely still going today. We know this as a matter of course. Um, in the video series, I show a video clip that kind of proves that. I won't take the time to to show it now. But I do want to explain what it is and then show you one clip that I think uh, many of you probably have never seen before. But Operation Mockingbird was a CIA operation in which they put thousands upon thousands of their agents on the CIA payroll in every major media outlet. That's TV, radio, magazines, and newspapers at the time. And they literally controlled the narrative about everything. And so when you would see, you know, Walter Cronkite in the evening news giving information, it was controlled. In fact, that phrase, talking points, remember the old Bill O'Reilly show used to have talking points? He didn't make up that term. That was what Mockingbird called them. Here's your talking points for today. And it's it's in all out in the open. The church committee hearings proved it. They under oath, admitted it. The president of CBS, for example, admitted it. George H.W. Bush admitted it. Uh, on record. So this is something that they claim is no longer going on, but it's clearly still going on. And so I want to show you the agenda behind the agenda. So I'm going to play a clip here of Walter Cronkite, who is appearing at the World Federalist Association and receiving the Global Governance Award. In other words, they're thanking him and giving him an award for helping to advance the global government agenda. And in this clip, just to set the stage, it's only 26 seconds, so you have to listen close. But he's, he gets up and he starts talking about evangelical conservatives who teach that you know the the world, any world government prior to the time of Christ taking the throne, must be at the behest of Satan. And uh, he's he's right, by the way. <laughs> he doesn't believe that. Uh, and then he says, "Well, if that's the case, then come join me." Right here, as I sit at the right hand of Satan. Listen to this quote. The leader, Pat Robertson, has written in a book a few years ago that we should have a world of government, but only when the Messiah arrives. He wrote, Ever. Any attempt to achieve world order before that time must be in the work of the devil. Well, join me. And then a few moments later, a few moments later, they pipe in First Lady Hillary Rodham Clinton, who gives her congratulations to him for achieving this Global Governance Award. And listen to what uh, she said. This is also about 26 seconds. We would like to bring you a message from the First Lady of the United States, Hillary Rodham Clinton. Good evening and congratulations, Walter. i receiving the World Federalist Association's Global Governance Award. For more than a generation in America, it wasn't the news until Walter Cronkite told us it was the news. So that adds whole new meaning to what they really meant by that. It wasn't the news until Cronkite told you it was the news. So Operation Mockingbird uses weapons of mass deception to try to control people, control the narrative, mind control people, and and so forth. And we see this... Uh, again and again. Uh, Gary Allen said, uh, we believe the picture painters of the mass media are artfully creating landscapes for us which deliberately hide the real picture. Rockefeller put it this way, we are grateful to the Washington Post, the New York Times, Time Magazine, and other great publications whose directors have attended our meetings, talking about the trilateral commission, and respected their promises of discretion for almost 40 years this was two decades, he said this two decades after Operation Mockingbird was supposed to have been done away with. It would have been impossible for us to develop our plan for the world if we had been subject to the bright lights of publicity during all those years. See, you cannot trust the controlled media. We do not have freedom of the press in this country. In fact, we never have. Maybe that's why President uh, Thomas Jefferson famously said, people who don't read the newspapers know more than those who do. Because misinformation can be more harmful than no information. I'll close with this, and then we have a lot more to say in the third hour. In the second hour, again, during our worship service, I'm going to talk about Satan's deceptive means. We're going to go verse by verse through Genesis chapter 3 and then give you some tools for identifying deception. But we'll have more to say about the Luciferian conspiracy in the third session. But last night at dinner at Mike and Andrea's, Mike was talking about the secret to their huge... Uh, Andrea's huge tomatoes and how you you use cow manure, and you put a layer of that and you put topsoil, and and man, that just works great. Well, it reminded me of of the horse-drawn manure spreader. In the old days, it was kind of, you know, rudimentary, kind of basic uh, horse-drawn manure spreaders that they used on the farms. As we moved forward in time, we got to kind of the industrial age uh, manure spreader, which were a little more effective, but the modern manure spreaders look like this. And (laughs) And you need need to remember that the mainstream media is harmful if swallowed. So I I hope you're beginning to see, even though we just had a short time together, the connection between the biblical plan of the ages, Satan's attempt to take over this world, his conspiracy with the one-third of the angels who fell and human agents, and what's happening all around us, sort of coming to a head. Much, much more to say uh, in uh, the book, and uh, so I encourage you to to check out Spirit of the Antichrist. Uh, We have them here. You can also go to spiritoftheantichrist.org and read the preface and the full table of contents to see all the subjects that we cover in that. And then we also have uh, a DVD set, as I mentioned, 18 videos and 14 hours that address uh, this uh, information. So let me close us in prayer, and then we'll uh, take a break, and we will come back together at, uh, what, 11 o'clock, I think, for worship, right? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege of being here Uh, today, and to talk about these weighty matters, but uh, thoroughly biblical matters, and begin to try to make sense of what's going on in this world. I pray for wisdom, I pray for uh, grace and strength, and I pray also, Lord, if there's one here within the sound of my voice that doesn't know you, that uh, they would come to you in simple childlike faith, trusting that your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, is the only hope for salvation that he died and rose again to pay our personal penalty for sins. And only by faith in him can we receive forgiveness and eternal life. And I pray that if there's one here that doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation and the day they place their faith in him. For those of us that are believers, we pray for continued growth in the Spirit, strength uh, in, in your grace, and help us to have the courage to withstand whatever may uh, come our way. And we pray all this in Jesus' name.